Good evening, everybody, and welcome into another episode here of Home Field Advantage. It is a bonus episode as I record here on Saturday night, April 29th. My name is Will Highland. Hope you're all having a great week or weekend wherever and however you may be listening to this podcast across our great country or our great land. I'm also recording in a different place, so the audio might sound different. I'm also using a different setup, so that might be different as well. And we're only on audio, so I guess I don't have to say anything about my YouTube audience. But anyway, this is going to be a quick bonus pod. I will also have a pod out tomorrow, but I'll get to that in a second. It's Saturday night. I promised you guys last week that I would talk some baseball. I did go to Fenway this weekend, which was really fun. Great time. But I have some thoughts about the Red Sox that I want to get to. However, in the background, there's also the NFL draft, which we had the first rounds of on Thursday and Thursday night. And then uh, Friday was the second round. And then we had... The remainder of the draft today. So I'll get into a little bit of the Patriots draft, talk a little bit about the Red Sox. And of course, we have the Celtics moving on as well. So it'll be very Boston-centric in this one. However, here's the big key. No matter what happens tomorrow night, and if you're listening throughout the week, you already know what happened here. But no matter what happens with the Bruins and Panthers Game 7, I'll have a bonus pod tomorrow night. We'll probably be out around 10.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, regardless of, again, what happens. But also, there could be overtime, so it could be later. But I, I will promise you this, that I will have a pod tomorrow for the Bruins game. Um, here's what I'm thinking, though. You might notice, and I'll, I'm going to begin with the story. And again, this is going to be a fast pod, so I'll try and get to the point. Friday afternoon, I had lunch. Sorry, Thursday afternoon, I had lunch at work. And I typically get a vanilla chocolate twist ice cream. And I was really looking forward to getting this twist ice cream because the cafeteria at my workplace has, you know, a machine that does that does this. And I typically only do it maybe once or twice a month, so it's a little bit of a treat. And I look forward to it. I love soft-serve ice cream. And as our friends in the Green Mountain State call it, I like a good creamy. But on Thursday, they didn't have chocolate ice cream. So I settled for vanilla. And it was good. I like ice cream, but it was vanilla. So... The reason I say that and the reason why I named the title of this podcast Vanilla Ice Cream is that is exactly the state of Boston sports as it pertains to the Red Sox and the Patriots. I was at Fenway last night. Fenway is arguably the most historic sports venue in the country. And it's a great place. I was there five months ago. For the Winter Classic, 
I've been there for Red Sox playoff games. I've been there for Red Sox games when they were extremely competitive and when the place was packed shoulder to shoulder and rowdy. And I don't know what it was about last night, but it just seemed like Fenway wasn't Fenway. And the guys that I were at the, was at the game with felt the same way. It, perhaps it was just that it was early in the season. Um, it was a kind of a cold night. I think it was actually warmer at the Winter Classic than it was last night at Fenway. Perhaps it's that the team isn't that competitive. Perhaps it's that there's other things going on in the Boston sports universe, of course. The draft, the Celtics, the Bruins, whatever. That are drawing people's attention. But it just seemed like the Red Sox were an afterthought. Fans behind me were more interested, and maybe at times I was too, in what was going on in Sunrise, Florida, than what was going on on the field in Boston. And the Red Sox players only got big ovations when it was Devers or Kike Hernandez. Um, Justin Turner a little bit, but it was mostly because Justin Turner's walk-up song was a song called Boston by Augustana, which is very popular in this region of the country. But what I noticed is that this, this Red Sox this Red Sox experience post-COVID, the last Red Sox game I was at at Fenway was Mookie Betts' last game. The Red Sox were well eliminated by the time that rolled around. Hell, they had just fired Dave Dabrowski like a week earlier. But even that Red Sox team, who was clearly eliminated, had a buzz to them, right? They were, they were the leftovers of 2018. You had that, you had that fire there. And, and I, hate to, I hate to rely too much on anecdotal pieces of evidence. But last night seemed, seemed like vanilla ice cream. Like, I'm happy to be at Fenway. I love Fenway. Fenway's probably outside of the state of Maine, my favorite place to be. It's getting there that I don't like. But once I'm there, I love Fenway. But it felt like vanilla ice cream. You're happy that you're there. You're having fun. You're with your buddies. You're having some drinks. You know, you're watching baseball. But there was just something about it that was bland. Something about it that was disappointing. Something about it that was missing. And that's where I arrive when I, when I think about this Red Sox team as it's constructed right now. It's not that you never want anything to do with it. I mean, I like a good vanilla ice cream once in a while. But if you're looking forward to chocolate vanilla twist and you get just vanilla then it's hard to deny that something is missing. And so that's what, that's what this Red Sox vibe gives me. Right? I look up and I see a guy like Tristan Cautious, right? Now, granted, it's only April 29th, but he's somebody who we spent years, and I literally mean years, at least three years, thinking was going to be a can't-miss prospect. I like the guy. He hit a couple, I think he hit a couple home runs during the Baltimore series, but... It just, it wasn't delivering. 
And I going into the season, I liked this Red Sox team's chances if they were able to stay healthy because I thought their depth, if everybody performed well, was still very good. I come out of that game last night, and I look, I know they won today. Verdugo had a nice late hit in the 10th inning. Um, Arroyo had a good bounce back uh, performance, um, but it just seems like there was something missing. Like, like the players on the team, the depth of having a guy like Duval hurt impacting you this much, having Emmanuel Valdez, who's going to be a good player probably, playing second base and batting ninth. It's like nobody really knows who he is yet. I mean, there was just, it just felt like, it felt like something was missing. Um, now that could be in the form of a intrinsic feeling. It could be in the form of a particular player, perhaps one that wears number two or number 50. Um, one of the guys I was there at the game with pointed out that the pregame hype video showed practically every Red Sox highlight from 1950 to present that you could think of, with the exception of two players not anywhere in the montage. There was Xander Bogarts was not in the montage, and Mookie Betts was not in the montage. Now, people will say, Will, you're living in the past. Those guys aren't in, those guys aren't coming back to the Red Sox. Why are you obsessed with Mookie and Xander? And my response is the same reason that you know you can't you can't tell a history of the history of the Boston Red Sox without Ted Williams or David Ortiz. You can't tell the history of the modern Boston Red Sox without Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. The 2018 Red Sox were arguably the most dominant of any of the nine World Series championships that the franchise has uh, has won. And those two players were your best players on that team. They did show 2018 highlights. They showed a 2018 highlight of Chris Sale. And they showed recent highlights. I think they showed Pedroia. They it wasn't that they, like they were going for like a 2007 or earlier, you know, Red Sox hype video. It was a Red Sox hype video that lasted up until the current day. I mean, they showed a Verdugo highlight from last year. They showed a Garrett Whitlock highlight. And so there's this there's this common theme that something is missing and that something needs to be desired with this Red Sox team. And look, Nick Pavetta had a bad outing. Um, nobody except Jaron Duran and Kike Hernandez could hit the ball last night. Uh, Kike, I think, is a good player. Jaron Duran um, is, you know, having a good stretch here. Re- Raphael Devers is who he is, but what I saw last night was a team that didn't really have an identity. You know, I'm not really sure what they do well. Do they hit well? Not really. Uh, do they have any studs outside of Devers? No. Uh, Reese McGuire is a liability behind the plate. I mean, Cleveland was running all over him. And they don't really pitch well. I think I like Jensen, uh, Jansen, Kenley Jansen. Um, and some of their other bullpen arms are pretty good. Like I thought, I actually thought Cutter Crawford did a good job out of the pen last night before he gave up a home run late. But 
It just seemed as if something was missing. Now, moving on just quickly, talk a little bit about the NFL draft. I'm also going to use the same analogy to describe the Patriots NFL draft. And I'll be the first to tell you, just as I mentioned last week, or the week before, I can't remember, I'm not a big NFL draft guy. I don't have time to pay attention to every single NFL draft prospect who comes out of a Power 5 school or a Group of 5 school or even hell, even a Division 2 school. I don't know the guys' grades and who's ranked what at what position and who's scouted as what and who's projected to be what. Or I, I don't really have the time for that. But what, what I do have a meter on is it's how I feel about the team already and does, does the draft move the needle, right? Like 2010, I always go back to where the Patriots had come off a disappointing playoff loss. You knew they were going to be Brett better because Brady, I think, was, to be fair, not, not his best in 09 after the surgery, and I didn't have huge expectations for the draft because the Patriots had lost a wild card round but game to Baltimore, but they were still drafting late in that round. I think they, there was one year, I think it was 2012, where they had two first round picks. And they ended up getting Chandler Jones and Dante Hightower. I think that was probably their best modern draft. But 2010 was pretty good too, if you think about Brandon Spice and uh, Gronkowski and Hernandez and McCourty and 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 the rest of those uh, of those guys um, there from that 2010 draft classes. I point to that and saying, going into it, you felt okay about that Patriots team, but coming out of it, you thought, well, they got some players right here. And last night, as I in this in this afternoon, as I'm looking at who the players the Patriots picked up as is doesn't really move the needle for me. Again, it's a little bit like vanilla ice cream. Now, I do think Christian Gonzalez is going to be a good player. I do think that some of these guys they picked up on the offensive line could hit. Um, I do like the fact that they went with athletic defenders early. Um, there's a lot of there is some repeat players here. Um, I'm not going to, again, not going to pretend to be an expert on any of these guys, but it's potential that a guy like uh, Marte Mapu could be a very similar kind of player to Kyle Duggar or Josh Uche. You know, supposedly he's like some sort of hybrid um, defensive player who can be like a linebacker or a safety. I think getting a center is not a horrible idea considering David Andrews' health problems that he's had the last few years. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with drafting a kicker in the fourth round if he's considered the second best kicker. Um, because I know Belichick likes to have a long-term kicker. And Justin Rohrwasser wasn't that guy. And I like Nick Folk, but I'd like to develop a guy like Gaskowski or Vinatieri that we can have for a decade plus. So, like, some of these guys I think could hit. I mean, Keishon Butte, uh, wide receiver out of LSU. I think a lot of people thought he would have been drafted higher, but there were some character concerns. Um, DeMarlo Douglas from Liberty. 
Hard to tell what any of these late round guys are going to be. Keon White, they took in the second round. Um, which I believe was 47th overall. He's a defensive end from Georgia Tech. I mean, like, there are some players that will hit. But I'm not... I'm not, like, jumping up and down, but I'm also not like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, I've seen a lot of polarized takes about the Patriots draft. And I guess for me, you don't know who any of these guys are going to be. Right? You don't know. Nobody knows. Anybody who's on Twitter today saying that we got a bunch of steals, you don't know what a guy is actually going to be until he suits up in the NFL on Sunday. And likewise, the same folks that are saying that, oh my God, this is the worst draft class I've ever seen. I mean, again, they haven't taken the field yet. So how do you know what they are and what they aren't? Right? Two of the most prolific players in modern Patriots history were drafted in the sixth and seventh round. Julian Edelman and Tom Brady, of course. I think James White was a fourth rounder. You don't win Super Bowl 51 without James White, Julian Edelman, and Tom Brady. So I, I guess I just don't buy into the, the hype about either camp in the draft. Right? Now there's a lot of talk about Will Levis and, and the Texans and what the Titans did and everyone else's strategy, what the Lions are doing. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. It's April 29th. We still got four months and change until we have a meaningful NFL game. So there's, there's a lot of water under the bridge uh, still to go under, I should say. So I would just caution that um, if, the, if the NFL season or if, if the NFL draft is like your favorite ice cream parlor, and you show up, and you get stuck with vanilla, then perhaps it sucks because maybe you wanted that parfait or that sundae. Or perhaps it's good because it saved you a few dollars. So I think I'm going to stick with my vanilla ice cream metaphor as it pertains to the draft too. Not great, not horrible, Definitely something missing. And uh, I think what's missing for the Patriots is a vibe of competitive football. This is the what I always used to joke about with the draft is that the draft doesn't freaking matter because number 12 is still our quarterback. That's not the case. So we have to keep that in mind. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. Quick bonus pod. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're listening after Sunday, then I hope you go and listen to my Sunday Bruins therapy session, um, which hopefully is a good one. Hopefully it's reacting to a win. Although, if honestly, if I had to handicap it right now, I'm not feeling good about this Bruins game tomorrow. I'm really not. This Bruins team in my lifetime has lost Game 7s at home in 09, in 2010, in 2012, in 2014, 
in 2019. They lost to Game 7 last year. They lost to Game 6 at home in 2017. Basically, if you're not the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're not the 2011 opponents, then you have a pretty good chance of beating the Bruins in a Game 7 in, in the history. So, historically speaking, I should say. So I'm not feeling great about it, but hopefully by the time you're listening tomorrow, things are going well and we're getting ready to play the Leafs or the Lightning, which, by the way, I haven't even checked in on that game. Let me do that right now. If the um, if the Leafs are moving on, that would be huge. Wow. Yes, they are. Toronto is moving on. They win in six. They won in overtime. Austin Matthews scored in the second period, and John Tavares scored in overtime. So yeah, they'll move on, and they'll play those Maple Leafs. So we'll find out maybe if the Bruins advance what it's like in the second round against these guys rather than the first. But nevertheless, you'll know either way if you're listening after the fact. If you're not, please tune in tomorrow night. I'll break it down one way or the other. We're going to find out, and we're going to get it. All right, Thank you all for tuning in. You've been listening to another special edition of Home Field Advantage.